Welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much to Charles Louis, Co.uk, which is a chartered mortgage advisors. And thank you very much for them for sponsoring. So if you need any advice in terms of new mortgages, either for yourself, for your family, for your friends, uh, have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk. And that Louis is spelled L-O-U-I-S, Charles Louis, no dots or anything, .co.uk. Have a look at the website. You'll get some good advice just by looking at it. But if you give them a call, the phone number's on there as well. I'm sure they'll help you. Mention Forever Blue, mention my name. And no doubt they'll give you a mortgage with no payments to make whatsoever. I am joking, right? Yeah. Just just to make that clear, yeah. that is a joke, right? But I'm sure that they will uh, they'll be very favourable towards you. Um, thanks very much to uh, the, the team who's here today. I'm going to start today by thanking Will, who does the filming. Sometimes contributes as a as a main podcaster, but today he's just in the background. And brought sweets. And he's brought sweets as well. Um, naturally, the person who said that about the sweets is Paul, because <laughs> food is always central to his life, food and drink. So uh, Paul, Nathan and Andy. So they're the, the three squad members. Uh, I'm going to start by um, a, a saying one thing. Uh, on Twitter, when the, the, the goal was disallowed, um, or rather the penalty wasn't given in the game against Crystal Palace yesterday, uh, I went on Twitter and said, this is ridiculous, don't even know why it's gone to VAR, clearly it's a penalty, um, and everybody said, well, uh, you as a commentator should know what the rules are. Well, first of all, I'm not a commentator anymore. I wish I was a commentator. So if there's anybody out there who wants to hire me as a commentator, I am here and I am more than willing to commentate on Manchester City games, whether that be City the Club or some commercial radio station or anybody. Here I am. I'd love to get back into it. But I don't com- commentate. You're very, you're very common though, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but I don't commentate anymore. And if I was a professional commentator, I'd make it my job to look at the rules. So I am looking at things like a fan. And I have to admit, I am very confused by the rules, by VAR, by handball, by the way that VAR is being used, and it drives me crazy, which I've expressed before. And when that ball hit the the thigh onto the arm, as far as I'm concerned, the arm made a difference, so that should have been a penalty. I have since read the rules, which one or two people on Twitter have furnished with me with, perhaps sarcastically, but thank you anyway. I've read the rule, and if it, if, it, if it hits a defender's leg or other part of the body and goes onto the arm, then it is not uh, a penalty. Oh, sorry, a free kick or anything like that, right? If it was a striker and it hit the leg, let's say, and gone onto an arm, then that would be blown up and that would be not allowed, whether it's deliberate or not. In the old days, it used to be more simple. It used to be, if there was intention, then that was handball, and that applied to strikers and defenders. Um, so clearly the, the rules have all changed, right? And, and I'm a little bit more aware of it now. It doesn't mean to say I agree with it, by the way, uh, but that is, that is the rule. So I understand that, so thank Thank you. However, uh, in terms of VAR, I've got to get this off my chest, right? I was watching a, a Bundesliga game on Friday night uh, on BT Sport. I am a, my second club is, is Schalke. I follow Schalke a lot. They were playing against Borussia Mönchengladbach, resumption of the Bundesliga, and they won 2-0. Very, very good they were. A couple of players, by the way, played for Schalke, who I'd be keeping my eye on as a City fan, who were very good, right? However, there was, a, in the build-up to, I think it was the first goal, but anyway, one of the Schalke goals, there was a moment when it looked like somebody might be offside in the build-up. And uh, the summariser, I think it was Chris Perry, said, oh, it's going to be ruled out that for offside. Uh, wait until VAR has a look at that. Obviously, from that moment onwards, with three or four passes, the ball ends up in the net. Now, if that had been in England, clearly the game, after all the celebrations and everybody saying, what a great goal, and everybody going back to the halfway line, then would have been a look at VAR. We'd have had a four-minute stoppage, and then it would have either been offside or it wouldn't have been offside. However, in Germany, they didn't even look at it. There was no VAR. Much to the consternation of Chris Perry, who was <laughs> amazed that this wasn't. And we never saw a replay of it at all while the game went along. When it got to half-time, or the end of the game, I forget which, they showed brief highlights and actually showed the lines that were drawn across the pitch. And although it was only shown very briefly, I suspect that the lines showed that they were actually offside, but only by a millimetre or two. So that draws me to the conclusion that in Germany, unless it's a clear and obvious mistake, they don't refer to VAR. 
Thank you. Well done. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. Even if there's a mistake, yeah. I can live with that. Clear Stop this VAR nonsense unless it's clear and obvious. Today, I watched a little bit of the Liverpool United game. How were they playing? Yes, they were. Congratulations to Liverpool. They will win the league, of course. We know that. And they deserve it. You know what? And I might stick in the throat, and a lot of City fans might not like it, but they will be worthy champions this year. I'll say it, and that's what I believe. And I know there'll be a lot of people saying VAR have given them the title. I don't agree with that either. I, mean, I don't like VAR, but I don't think that's made any difference. I think they'd still win the league. That's my viewpoint. You can have your say in a second. But there was a goal disallowed because of a charge uh, challenge by Virgil van Dijk on David De Gea. Now, to me, that was a very uh, difficult, subjective decision to make. And there will be some people who say it was a foul. There'll be some people who say it wasn't. The referee decided it wasn't a foul. The play continued, Liverpool scored. It was then judged by VAR, and the judgment on this subjective decision was that the goal should be disallowed. As a City fan, I suppose I should have been cheering. But actually, it annoyed me because I think that goal should have stood. The referee at the match gave the decision, rightly or wrongly, we can all debate whether it was right or wrong. What I object to the strongest is that this was a subjective decision. Paul and I talked about it in the car on the way down. He thought it should have been disallowed. I thought it should have been allowed. Therefore, it's a subjective decision. It's not clear and obvious. The referee decided not to give it. He was overruled. He, he wasn't advised, he, wasn't, he didn't go and look at it on a monitor, he didn't make the decision, he was overruled by a remote referee, who in theory therefore must be his boss, must be his superior, because he makes a decision. How can that be right? Right, I've said me bit. You tell me what you think. And uh, thank you for the cheesy rant sponsored by <laughs> Prestige uh, Car Repairs. That was uh, seven minutes long. Uh, uh, I think that's a this, record. That's the end of this week's podcast. See you again next week. Thanks no, come listening. on, tell me what you think then. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're absolutely bang on. It's like we had, we, we had, I looked at that, I looked at the VAR, and when I first saw it, um, Obviously, it was on Twitter because I didn't watch the game live because I'm of no interest in the two teams that play today. Um, but I've been obviously doing a podcast tonight. I wanted to know what was going on. So <clears throat> I, I I saw it and I initially thought, foul on the keeper. Another angle then I saw it and it was like, well, maybe not. Now, the, the guys in the studio, Sooness was tearing his hair out, going ballistic, Evra... He said it's definitely a foul. Roy Keane was saying it's definitely not a foul, blah, blah, blah. So they couldn't decide, and each one of them's played the game. So how can it be a clear and obvious mistake the referees made? Because there's five people who I've just mentioned, me, you, Ian, and them three in the studio, they couldn't make their mind up. So a referees give it. It's been overruled by... Um, what What's the actual name of the, that, that guy, the... the Video assistant. video assistant referee. VAR, video assistant, assistant. including the title. So a referee, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's the assistant referee. See, yeah, that's, so he's I, not I've always referee. said it should be VR, the, the video the, referee, because it isn't exactly. a video assistant referee. Yeah, the man on the pitch should have the final decision, yeah? Now, if the video referee had said, assistant referee, sorry, had said, you know, I think you've made a mistake there. Can you come back and have a look at this? Or can you come and have a look at this? It might not be as clear-cut as you thought. He goes back to his monitor, which apparently they look at now for red cards only. Went to the monitor, looked at it and thought, no, I've not made a clear and obvious mistake there. I, I From where I saw it, I think it's right. But you know, when, when, when that Stockley Park fella says in his ears, I think you've made a clear and obvious mistake and asked him to go and look yeah, at yeah. it, there's already a pressure on him. Because yeah, yeah. somebody else has said to him, we think you've made a mistake, go and have mm. a look at it. So although in theory, he can, if that was to happen and he looked at it, he has the right to stick with his original. But I think a lot of them would still change their mind purely because somebody else who's remote has told them but, that yeah, they think they've made it. it's point. worth looking at. He only calls him over if it's a clear and obvious mistake. Otherwise, it happens like happens in Germany where the video referee looks and thinks... Yeah, that no, I think that's a penalty that or whatever. But I can it's not see clear and it's not clear and obvious. So play on. Just let it There's go. There's no stoppage in the game. There's no nothing. Get on with it. Simple. Both of you are spot on in 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 like different ways. Like I I believe that 
um, that they shouldn't even come in with stuff like the the Van Dyke decision. Um, they should look. They, I agree with having a assistant referee like that's watching away from the ground, so then you're not uh, in, uh, uh, like affected by the emotion and the surroundings. But that Van Dyke incident, the referee has seen it at the time. And like you say, that they should be watching it, and they should go right. I can see why you've why you've given that decision. It might not be right perfectly to let the let the law, but because it's not such a an, a clear mistake as you say, they, they should just let let it go. It should VAR should only get involved if someone's like had a leg breaker or mistaken identity or some like something that can be said. Look, this is the actual mistake you've made here, not. Subjective, like you say. Another thing I would say, by the way, is that if the referee, say in the Van Dyke incident, looks at that incident and thinks to himself, you know what, there was somebody in the way there, I didn't really get a very clear view of it, that he could then put his finger to his ear and, and go, uh, hello, Stockley Park, uh, I didn't get a clear view of that. There's a, can I have another look at it? Would you mind playing it on the monitor for me? So that it's him that initiates the second chance, not Stockley Park. Which is and, what happens in rugby union. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what happens yeah. and... Just, just to touch on that, if you, if you, you see the, the video referee um, will actually only point out clear and obvious mistakes in rugby union, and then the only thing the on, on, on pitch referee's got to decide is what the final punishment should be. It's not even a discussion. The only time it becomes a discussion is when somebody scores a try and it's whether or not the ball's grounded or whether there's a foot in touch, which sometimes at the speeds of play these days, they do need an extra bit of help. So I think the principle that you've mentioned about when the intervention occurs and who decides is clearly one of the big issues. And today, I can tell you who created that reversal of VAR, it was a Man United team. If you watched it, you want to go back and have a look. I mean, De Gea got booked for his for his remonstrations. Yeah, and, and it's the and, first time yeah. I've seen a team, I think, influence Stockley Park. And they probably went, ah, you know what? These buggers have won the league anyway. Um, what let's, the hell? Let's not rock you know, let's let's keep the game interesting. It's a big and you know maybe maybe we really need that worldwide audience on a Sunday afternoon to stay tuned rather than turn over. Oh dear you wouldn't think that they'd be making decisions on that basis, would you? But, you know, that's what I thought was happening at the time. That was my interpretation. This is a commercial decision. And the United players definitely, frankly, they could have all been booked for the way that they went round the referee like they used to in the old days. It's coming back. And I think that's definitely something that happened today, which, let's say, concerned me about the referee and how they're going to be making decisions going forward. Because, essentially, the, the, the problem we've now got is officials who were scared to make a decision. The, uh, it must be hard, though, being there and knowing constantly you're going to be like undermined. Like, What's the point in having linesmen anymore? Like, Literally, they, they don't need to be there now because they can just check it with the cameras. I mean, I'm slightly moving, but it's still part of the same thing. It's like today, so De Gea got booked for his, his, his... Quite rightly so, for the way he was having a go at the referee. But because the decision got overturned... Does that not mean his yellow card gets overturned as well because he was right to have a go at the referee? No, they clarified it at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, I know, but you sort of like think it's like somebody, it's like somebody getting sent off for something he didn't do. It then gets overturned. Does he get allowed to come back on again? Well, just just touching on another thing that was strange about last week's game, uh, where we had a, a it was an offside overruled, and um, so whose ball is it? You know, uh, the, the, this week, yeah. this week, it happened yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. With the, the... Whose ball is it? And you think, well, it came, went to the opposition. You think, how can that be? Where's mm. the rule for that? Well, but that's this is the claim for handball inside the penalty yeah. area that then was given as that's a right. defensive free yeah. kick, yeah. which is bizarre. Um, but I, I don't want to make this a VAR. But I had to get that off my chest, and I'm glad that you've you've had a bit of a say on it as well. Obviously, City, um, you know, drew against Crystal Palace, having gone a week since the the six one against Aston Villa, which was perfect. And before that, there was the Manchester United victory as well. So everybody was really really happy. Last week's pl uh, vlog and plot podcast and everything was all you know honouring Sergio Aguero and how great he was. Quite rightly, here we are. A week later, with a home draw against Crystal Palace, 
And suddenly, uh, and I hate to mention, mention just social media, because I know Nathan is so upset by it, he's come off social media, won't have anything to do with it anymore, but social media is still the finger in the air to find out what people are saying, albeit that sometimes it's the extreme views. But there was an awful lot of negativity on there, and when um, somebody reacted to my Match Day vlog, and there was a little... Uh, I'll, I'll read it out in a second, but there was a, a little bit where people were talking about the game... And there was, there was some people sticking up for David Silva, other people saying he shouldn't be playing anymore, it was his fault, he slowed it down. There's been an awful lot of negativity towards John Stones since that, that defeat, blaming John Stones for the defeat. There's been an awful lot of negativity towards Pep Guardiola in terms of changing a winning format, uh, the defensive formation, keep changing his defence, not starting with Gabriel Jesus, because obviously at United it was strikerless against Aston Villa, it was two strikers, and then suddenly in the third game of the sequence, we go back to one. Rodri doesn't start the game when he'd started before. Raheem Sterling, who's also had a lot of uh, stick recently, who's you know out of form, uh, and Riyad Mahrez, who's bang in form, finds himself on the bench. So there was a lot of different questions being asked, a lot of negativity, and presumably, and I'll put this question out there, if Crystal Palace hadn't scored in the very last seconds of that game, would everybody have gone away saying everything was great and that was another victory and we're right on the right course? Is it all about whether you get the three points or not and otherwise all the negativity goes away? Um, I'm, you know what? There's a whole it's, lot of things you can talk about there, Paul. There is, there is. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like you, I'm, I'm a bit fed up with social media at the moment. Um, and yet you're never off it. I'm never off it. I know, I know, and I'll have to get some work done one day. Um, the way I look at it is this: that I've, you know, for, I've, I know you get pelters for it, but I've watched some absolute bobbins down at Main Road. Hmm. I've watched some absolute rubbish matches at the Etihad. I've been watching of probably the last two and a half, three seasons, the best football I have ever seen live in my life pretty much week in week out I can't really come away from uh, I can't remember a game where I've come away and gone you know what that was absolutely rubbish he needs to go he needs to go you enjoy yesterday's game you know what I did I enjoyed it because it had a bit of everything I was entertained yesterday the first first 10 minutes City were playing it was absolutely mesmerising I just stood there looking at the intricate passing and all the rest of it what do you got the question is what do you got a football to do yeah if, 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 if it's all about winning it's all about winning, then go and watch Liverpool. Because the, the, the win dirty, the, the, the you know, they do play some attractive football sometimes, but most of the times it's dirty the way they win. I don't mean the they, they go around fouling, but it can be the long ball over the top. It, they can do stuff where it can be nice football. But if you if you want to be entertained and watch pure football, City's the team to go and watch. I'm entertained week in, week out. Now the fact that VAR ruins it for me, it still gets me blood boiling. It still makes me feel alive going to them matches. I come away sometimes feeling annoyed, but I'd rather that than come away just thinking, all oh, right, well, well, my missus is made for tea when I get in. I, 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 think, I think all those things you said apply and people can you know, decide what's the more important thing, the tinkering or Stones' two mistakes, or three if you include the Wan-Bissaka almost penalty and and Fernandinho not being able to stop, um, you know, Conor Wickham coming through. For me, yesterday, to sum it up, was that was the perfect way to park a bus. Crystal Palace yesterday demonstrated for any team how organised you have to be to stand a chance against us. That's how good they were. Mm. And I appreciated that. I thought that's that's quality, you know, for them, even though that might not be attractive to watch. And to unlock that, we had two of the most sensational goals. Perfect crosses, perfect finishes by somebody who I hope plays football forever. That somehow he takes a magic potion and Sergio lives forever because that first goal yesterday, you couldn't, you, you, you know, we've seen some great goals, but that for me was quality. It was a bit like that first one he scored. You remember the first one yeah, where he was on the was, far post? Yeah. So it wasn't the same, mm -hmm. I know, but the fact that he, you know, did something that other players can't do, which yeah. is get on the end of an almost impossible ball. And I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, ever get into this. Uh, should be doing this, should be doing that. 
I mean, I do think that he's he's probably persisted a bit too much playing Sterling. He's clearly not got confidence, and he's getting that you know mid rating off off most people. He's not somehow where he was at the start of the season or or, the, or before Christmas. Um, so you know, do we do, does he sit him back, give him a break? I think to play Mares would have been better because I think that momentum. Leroy's going to be coming back soon, so I think we've got the option. You know, so I, I don't I don't quite know why there's so many people jumping on and going. I mean, perhaps they're just a bit frustrated, but I thought yesterday Crystal Palace was superb in what they set out to do, and and you know, poorly defended a corner and absolutely did us again where we have the biggest weakness, and that is on a speedy counter attack with the defense we've got it's the same it's the same problems every time it, every every time we have a defeat or a or a draw i always feel like i'm repeating myself i look at yesterday and if you were to um like amalgamate all the problems that we've had all season and create a game to sum up exactly what's happened you'd you'd come away with yesterday's game it would be getting the ball forwards, getting around the box, not really looking like what we were doing. Uh, Mendy throwing in a thousand crosses, hoping one will come off. And yet one does come off eventually, so you, you, you can't, it kind of leaves you not being able to, I feel like, uh, criticise it a little bit. But we, we just look so predictable. And then teams, I, like, my dad made this point, how many games has there been where teams have scored off their only chances against us? And it, it's so frustrating how we look so vulnerable for a team that should be so established and should, like, own the pitch. Uh, I think our players look scared. Stones looks like he can be bullied every time he plays. And it, I think I, it's a bit frustrating. Obviously, there's a few different issues that we can talk about now, and I found that uh, that message that uh, went out on as a reaction, really, to one of my matchday vlogs. And it was started by Kenton. And it says, Pep Guardiola is a very stubborn man. Bernardo Silva is not a winger. David Silva is 34 years old and should not be starting games for City anymore. Mares is on fire, yet Pep decided to put him on the bench. Pep's overthinking and loyalty to David Silva is costing us uh, and will cost City in the Champions League. The reply to that from Paul says, uh, don't be so stupid. Silva was one of our better players today. You think someone uh, of his quality can't pull the string still at home to Palace? Reply to which is, do you realise how, how the tempo of the game increased when David Silva came off? Do you expect a 34-year-old player to be as mobile as an energetic 22-24-year-old? to 24 year old? And then Kenton comes back again with, and obviously Kenton will be listening to this, so uh, he gave us something to talk about here, Kenton. Um, I genuinely thought today Villa... This is the Villa one away were David David Silva's best games for a long time. Chased down, won long balls, continue uh, con countless times, and linked the play positively at every opportunity. So there's a big debate there about David Silva. We'll come to Raheem Sterling. We'll come to John Stones. We'll come to other things in a minute. But let's just stay on the David Silva thing. We all love David Silva. I love David Silva. There'll be an argument when David Silva goes at the end of the season, especially when Sergio goes, which we've had before on the podcast about who is the best. I've always said, let's not put them in an order and just accept that they're all brilliant. Well, you can have a, a best if you want. I'm, I'm, you, you can do that. I don't want to do it. But I think few people would argue that David Silva isn't one of our best ever players and has been magnificent. And there were even moments in that game against Crystal Palace where I thought, wow, that was good that David Silva did. But do you, three, think that David Silva is now past his very best? Do you think it should be Phil Foden playing there? Do you think it should be Bernardo Silva playing there? Do you think it, there's some other thing that should be happening? And is, and is Pep staying too loyal to David Silva because of what he's done in the <clears> past? I can't imagine Pep will do that. I don't think he's he's got that sentiment. I don't think he's staying loyal to him because it's his last season and blah, blah, blah. I don't think Pep would do that. Being honest, I love David Silva. Um, his, his legs have gone. He hasn't got the same energy that he's had over the last few seasons. Pablo Zabaleta, it happened to him. No matter, you know, you, you can defend, defend, defend somebody, but being honest, you know, he, he, he is leaving City at the end of this season. And for me, 
that's probably the right time from what I've seen this season. He is not the player this season that he was last season. This is me asking the opposite question, as you know. <clears throat> this is what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. Should he have gone last season? Um, well, in the benefit of hindsight, from what I've seen this season, possibly. But the way I thought things would pan out would be that they'd have David Silva playing less of a role and allow other players, whether it is um, Phil Foden, to come into that role. Um, do, you, do you believe, while we're on that subject, that Phil Foden playing in the same role yesterday would have improved City's performance? Uh, it's hard to say because I'm not got a crystal ball, but he is more energetic, he does run about more, he is more of a nuisance around them sort of areas. So, you know, possibly. I, 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 I hate to get into that hypothetical stuff because it is hypothetical and you don't know. Do I, 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 you two I, want to be I, hypothetical? Well, we talked about it uh, during the game. The possession, of course, again, we had dominant possession. But the pace of the game yesterday wasn't high. It was dom- It was Palace who were controlling the pace of the game because they decided to play the way they did. And they did it well. And to be honest, there's nobody had huge kilometre stats thrown at, out today, I'm sure. And I don't suppose David Silver even broke a sweat. So I don't think it was about energy yesterday. I remember at one point um, we actually all got back behind the ball um, from a you know a counter attack, and there was actually a round of applause. I don't know if anyone else remembers that yesterday, but there was two players still ambling back over the halfway line, and one of them was not David Silva. It was Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva. So if we're going to start talking about energy levels, some people need to watch what's good. Maybe you can't see it on TV, but but at the ground for for me. Um, David Silva yesterday certainly has had some great games against Crystal Palace in the past causes some trouble and they would have been aware of that and I think you could see yesterday double marking on, on Silva he was getting two men every time he had the ball so I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean obviously I'm a big fan um, it might be that he's gone on one season too long but you know this was meant to be if you like the the swan song season for him to to have with us before he leaves and hopefully there's still something in it for him uh, other than just it petering out to, to to nothing, so the league's probably uh, gone. I think we can uh, we can say that, and I've said that now for a couple of months. But it would be great to see Silver part of a winning City side in one of the competitions this season. Um, and I think he's still got a lot to give. And I think there's games when we still come off and say, "Wow, he's still got it," but maybe not as consistently as he used to. Yeah, I agree with I agree with Paul and what he said about um, Pep not having the sentiment to just play David for the sake of it. But I kind of feel like um, Silver subconsciously is playing at maybe seventy percent because he kind of knows that he's not here next year. And I I I, I don't mean that as a, a negative to Silver. I just feel like that he is just playing at a lower level because it is his, it is a, a farewell for him. Really, he used to have that. Um, like bite about him, and he's never been a runner. I, so to say his his legs have gone. He, I've I I don't remember David Silva ever running a, like fifty yards to chase someone down. But he seems to have lost that grit in a tackle. And he's he, in in our peak under Mancini and um, in, in Pellegrini. We so many of our goals were them short passes across the front of the goal. And Silver would always play a ball into the striker, who would that he and need then follow his follow his run and play. And I, this is what we do, I don't see from him anymore. And this is a reason why I think we've become predictable is because he's he's playing in front of the defence and he's almost like marking himself out of the game. I think. Do you think I've he's missing Sane? <sighs> It's a it's a million like million dollar question like, like you can say you can say about and any players are do they, do they need this do they need that but he's played with that many players that you can say like well, you know you take one thing away or is he missing that is I I don't I don't think Silver needs any other players in the team to be brilliant because he is that that good but for City to play at our best at in our in our system is why I think like we're better with Leroy in it. I think Sterling's drop in form has coincided with Pep changing the uh, formation. He's playing um, the as almost inside forwards, him and Mares, and I think that's why Mares is playing better. He's got more space, and I think almost as in as in like Silver doesn't really know what to do himself because he's got Sterling in his area now. Sterling's not playing as well as he used to be. 
I think you're absolutely right. I think that it's become a bit congested and the two banks of four that we seem to play at home every week against almost, there's not that space for Silva that there used to be. That's where he lived. That was his, you know, that's the canal he swam in and it's gone. It's not there. So it's no wonder he's like a fish out of water. He's he's trying to adapt to this. And of course, we, you know, there is a, a still a desire to go wide. We were trying everything down the left yesterday. Admittedly, Mendy needed to adapt what he was doing to get some results and eventually we cracked the nut. So I think it has been difficult, not just because of his longevity, but actually it's difficult for him to operate inside those defensive uh, formations. Yeah, and dare I say, after you've been here for 10 years, people kind of know what you're about almost. Yeah. While we're on the subject then of, of going into the, each other's <laughs> the sort of risk of sending double entendre here <laughs> of somebody's areas um, then Raheem Sterling is obviously the player you've mentioned about maybe being in the same area where David Silva wants to operate Raheem Sterling I think most City fans if they're honest would say he's not probably playing as well as he can do um, and yet you know he, he's still getting picked there'll be some who quote the statistic that he's still I think he's still City's top scorer this season um, and people who love statistics who thrive on that type of thing will just use that as their trump card put it down and say there you go you've got to pick him he's top scorer those of us who watch the games intently every week uh, I would argue but there might be people who disagree with me that Raheem Sterling is not playing particularly well at the moment. And I would have preferred to have seen Riyad Mahrez start that game in the position where Sterling was, because he started actually on the right in mm. the game. So what do we think about Raheem Sterling? I threw out ages ago, by the way, about, it must have been about September, October. I, I threw it out as a talking point, right? Why don't City, um, if they can get a load of money for somebody like Raheem Sterling use that to finance a big spend because there's another subject we can talk about and will in this podcast which is about why a city not going out signing players and is there something under the surface here that we don't know for sure about meeting FFP requirements you know that that city haven't got the money I mean I saw a, a city supporter on social media saying we'll go out and spend 300 million in the summer and solve all this and you think how stupid are you they can't do that they cannot go out and spend 300 million. They did it right at the beginning of this project, but FFP didn't exist then. And since then, it's always been about balancing the books. There are rumours, unfounded, I don't know if they're true, that City is struggling to meet FFP this year. Might have to sell somebody, hence the rumours of John Stones to Arsenal and Cancelo going somewhere else. So, Raheem Sterling, before we get to that, you know, City could have sold him and cashed in. Now he's he's not quite the the, the blue eyed boy anymore, is he? Uh, he's not. He's not played well since Christmas. But I, I wouldn't. I'd never sell him. Uh, he's he's a player that we've we brought in as a, a rough raw talent from Liverpool, and he's been he's been nurtured into I think England's best player, and he, but I I do think he's a victim of his own success in our team. The fact that he has been so good is he's he's almost feels the need to play all like the pet feels the need to play him all the time because he knows he can create something or he can score. Um he's better on the right. He's he's nowhere near as effective on the left and that is the that's is the issue this season. Um he's 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 forcing other players onto the right wing. Bernardo Silva who was I thought was completely invisible yesterday and Riyad Mahrez who who seems to just be a a, a one position player. And like Sterling, he always, he always wants to come inside. But I, I always look at him, and I think he second guesses himself. He he goes goes to shoot and think, ah, uh, if I don't, if if I sh if I pass there, you know, it'd be better, better for the the system, or it's exactly what I want. And I kind of feel like I want him to play with more of just him, you know, look after yourself almost. Uh, I think he's had a problem a few years ago of not being able to finish. And he's overcome it. And there was an absolutely brilliant analysis done by Gary Neville. I know I said that, I'm sorry, uh, on Sky about it um, three years ago. And everything Neville said has come true. He started to put the ball away as he matured as a striker. I think, however, what's happened is he's like a golfer putting. He's got the yips. And now what he's doing is he's hesitant <coughs> over the ball. And unless it's immediate... Or he's running at pace. I mean, the goal against Wolves was a good example of that. But he had two chances to kick a penalty and he missed them both. 
follow, got the follow-up. But if you watch him, he, if he's got time on the ball now, he's hesitant and, it's, and I think defenders can then get closer to him. He's not going past people. He got stopped several times yesterday. I think he's starting to lose a bit of confidence in his own ability just to dominate opponents. And, and we haven't seen him you know, putting it in as frequently as we, we used to. So I do think there's been quite a dip in his in his form, um, but the player's still able to to come to, to come back. But I think that's where the manager's got to come in to play and support him to do that because he clearly has had a couple of months now to put it right, and it's it's not improving. I completely agree with that, Andy. I mean, I had the uh, the yips in Gambia for a couple of days, to be honest, and it's not a good thing. To, you need to do <laughs> get over it quickly. Um, it, the problem you've got is. Sterling, yeah, you're absolutely bang on. If Sterling's got a split second, the ball's in the back of the net. Darius for sell. Exactly. <laughs> if he's got, if he's got, uh, to say he's not an intelligent player is wrong, but I think his brain works different. If if he if he's got time to think, forget it. Too many things come into his head. When the ball just comes at it and he instinctively hits it or knocks it past someone, that is when he's at his ultimate best. If he if he gets a ball, comes at his feet and he has time to run, nine times out of ten, he'll put it wide, he'll hit the keeper or whatever. That's what's happened with him. You, you bang on Andy, you know, you should be a psychiatrist or something. What, what you're saying is he's not Dennis Bergkamp. He doesn't yeah. think three three moves ahead of his no, goal score. No, no. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne does it. He sees, the, he sees yeah. a picture in front of him. Sterling doesn't. He reacts instantly, and that's when the back, you know, the goals are scored. Right, let's move on to John Stones, who's had a lot of stick as a result of the the game yesterday, uh, but but more generally anyway, he came in um, in a different look defence. You know, it changes all the time, as it were. In comes John Stones and plays in that game. There's been rumours of him going to Arsenal. Um, I will come on to this FFP. Um, sort of elephant in the room if you like and see if that's a factor but just to begin with how do you feel do you, do you, how do you feel about John Stones right now would he be a selection in big games for you um, and uh, and obviously there's the whole picture of the back four but specifically Stones for now where are you all on Stones? I think he has to know he's playing I, I, there's too much um, chopping and changing he was our yeah, he was our um, first choice centre half in the hundred point season, dare I say, and he was, he he always knew he was in the team. He always knew who he was going to be playing with. He knew how to play with them, and I think the problem is he's there's been that many like you point, touched on before. There's been that many changes that he's always he's always he's always not not knowing what's going to happen. You know, so he, he can. He knows exactly how someone else is going to play, but then when you play with someone else the week after, you're not quite sure how they're going to react to a. And that's a fair point, but but the fact that he knows who he's playing alongside, how does that alter the way that he takes on Zaha, for example, when he's running at him? That doesn't make any. If he knew that Laporte was alongside him, he don't think, oh well, I'll, at this time I will tackle Zaha because I've got Laporte off. That makes no odds to that situation, does it? Uh, I'm, I'm, I dare say I'm a bit stumped. Uh, I, I, I think I think the issue yesterday w- with the tackles was I, I think players are, m- are more scared with VAR. Um, they see players like Mane getting penalties for brushes on the ankle, and I think players are more they, if they're going for, going for tackle, they have to know 100% they're going to make it. Um, and I, I thought that was an issue with John yesterday in, in the first half that VAR. Um, check down at the family stand end he looked really really hesitant to go into that tackle and he kind of felt like he had to make it and then he he almost looked shocked like when Zahar went down and I think he had it that that incident stuck in his mind on the on the second goal if if but it's it's just I can't I, I just think it's mental with I, so you're still in the support John Stones camp give him a regular start and you're convinced that he's the man yeah I think it's it's all in his head I I watched him absolutely capitulate at, at Everton away and it, that was still the worst centre half performance I've ever seen but uh, for his 
it's his mental state i think is just he just needs to be nurtured what i noticed yesterday because i sit in the press box at home games was that the only player who pep seemed to be completely infuriated by was John Stones. Now, and that's not me imagining that, that's what I observed on the touchline. You can agree or disagree with it because it's all about opinions, but as far as I could see, I saw a lot of very frustrated body language from Pep Guardiola, and it was mainly aimed at John Stones. So that's just an observation which I'm going to throw out there. What about you, hey, two hey, one? I, I sit near you, and he was more annoyed at the time wasting after 20 minutes for most of the game. Um, he yeah, took, he was annoyed at he that took, too. <laughs> he took Mendy to one side for a, for a booking he shouldn't have taken. And Stones, actually, in my opinion, in the first half yesterday, he added everything that came at him. He put his, his passing through the transitions was exactly what we want from him. But when it came to the pressure moments, and there were two in the first half, one we've talked about, the second one was when Kale's on the edge of the box and he's actually waving. He's actually got his hand up. He might as well have had a megaphone <laughs> saying, I'm here. <clears throat> is there anybody big here who wants to mark or get in the zone with me? And he had a run that nobody uh, blocked. And eventually when they realised that the ball was... McCarthy had this pinpoint uh, corner that was coming in. Fernandinho and Stones were falling over each other to try and get at him then and got in each other's, got in each other's way. And therefore, I'm looking at that and thinking, right, remember last time on the podcast and we talked about John Stones because he came up then and he needs his hand holding. Nurturing all this stuff. It's like, hang on a minute. When are we going to say, you know, this is a this is an international centre half here, and we've got one of the best headers of a ball coming into the penalty area, and nobody's taking ownership. Does he need a handwritten note? Mm. Please go and mark Kale, Gary Kale. He's going to put that ball in the net, make a keeper, make a save, or as it happened yesterday, he found an op- another play- man in his team. Who, by the way. Little Bernardo Silva was given the job of marking, <laughs> followed up by even taller Ilkay Gundogan. These are two centre-forwards that we did not take care of on that corner. And yes, Stones is partially to blame. Because I should think by now, he should take ownership of what he's doing on the pitch and not have somebody tell him what to do. It, it, has he been with us four seasons now? Four seasons. One and a half, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He's not a kid. You know, yeah, he's, he's making exactly. mistakes that you'd expect um, uh, Taylor Bellis to make. Um, that's when you can turn around and say, well, he's a young kid, he's still learning his craft, he'll learn from that. John Stones, he's an England international. Um, I think I, I never, never, ever have a go at the individual players because, I mean, the second goal yesterday, it was a team, I think it was Kevin De Bruyne who lost the ball early doors. There's a lot of mistakes made, but ultimately... It was down to to John Stones, and he makes mistakes. Yeah, he does all he does this, the simple stuff, bringing the ball out which Pep wants, and all the rest of it. It looks silky smooth, and all the rest of it, like a Rolls Royce at the back there. But then when the depression moments where it's literally this is what your bread and butter is, out jumping, heading, he's got all the physical ap- attributes to do it, and he just doesn't do it. It's as like he, he his brain switches off and just has a panic mode. Here's the, here's the telltale for you, right? City are not going to win the Premier League that this year. We know that, right? So, Real Madrid's coming up. Two <clears> games <throat> against Real Madrid. Who do you pick in defence? Who's your two central defenders if you're going to pick two? Or your three if it's going to be three? Well, Amarik's back, so he's in. Laporte's one. Straight in. No danger. Mm. And I'd have to say that on what I've seen so far, I'd play, I'd play uh, Fernandinho... And if after him, it would be Otamendi. I wouldn't put Stones anywhere near that centre position against Real Madrid. Reading between the lines of things Pep has said, though, it sounds like he's got no intention of playing Fernandino at centre-half when Laporte comes back. So, after that... You say that. I mean, I obviously attend all the press conferences and there was a question that was asked, it was a few weeks ago, um, as to would you play Otamendi and Stones together and Pep's answer was very, very direct to the questioner. And he said, no, Fernandinho's my best centre-back. Straight out, mm. straight out. So he said, well, would you not consider moving him back into, into uh, the holding midfield role? And he said, no, Gundogan and Rodri are better than him in central midfield. I kind of feel like he's just trying to justify his decision of playing Rodri in midfield all the time, though. 
That may be the case, but he certainly said that. Now, whether sometimes <laughs> what you're hinting at is that the managers say things not necessarily that they're entirely convinced about themselves for the purposes of, I don't know, bolstering their own players or deflecting away some criticism that comes their way. But that's what he said. That's what he said. Well, to answer your previous question, I think he'll play Otamendi and Laporte then. But So who would you pick, though? Would you pick John Stones? No. Um, I think... Uh... Would you, Paul? No. So on that basis, if none of the three of you would pick John Stones, is it time to admit defeat with John Stones after four and a half seasons? And if Arsenal want to sign him, move him out. And now let's reintroduce the elephant in the room. If there is a question mm. mark about FFP... Because this is only me surmising from things that I hear. This is not, I'm not a tabloid journalist. I don't put this out there. This is a City podcast aimed at City fans. We're talking among friends. So I'm just discussing this among you guys. Anybody can listen, of course, but basically we're aiming at City fans. And I'm, I don't do clickbait. I'm not, I don't put it out there to, to sensationalise. But I think personally that City are struggling to meet FFP for this year. And I think the reason why Sane was on his way to Bayern Munich was to make sure that City met FFP. When he got injured, that was a huge blow to City because that was their plan, gone west. Now that Bayern are not interested in signing Sane in January's transfer window, which personally I'm quite glad about, I don't want to see Sane go, that leaves a gap in City's finances which they need to address. There's two weeks left of this transfer window there's so many City fans saying to me, why are we not sending a sign in a centre-half? Why are we not doing this? And I can't help thinking it's because City can't afford to do that and it's more likely that a player's going to go out in this window, whether it be John Stones or whether it be Cancelo, who's now also the subject of some suggestions that he might go. What do you make of that? I, I would like to say about the Sane theory, that as a businessman, there's no way you put in an asset that's going to save FFP in the Community Shield. Not a chance. And we did. So I can't believe that he was the, the solution to the FFP problem. Now we're halfway through the season, what I know is we will not get the revenue uh, of being Premier League champions this year. And any associated commercial interest there might be because we're champions or we're not number one. Um, I've heard... A few people whinging about the price of the Real Madrid tickets. Well, I wonder where the club budgeted to finish in the Champions League this year. It probably was the quarter-final, budgeting purposes, because they've done that for the last two years. So why would you go lower? You wouldn't. So they're expecting to get through. Now, it might be that there's a prudence that says, we better make the most of this fixture, just in case. You never know. That might be in the thinking. So... No concessions, we're going 60 quid or whatever uh, for everyone uh, for that match. Um, yeah, OK, we're in a semi-final of a, of a cup that brings its... And they'll have budgeted to probably win that again because it's our trophy. We've won it a lot. So actually on the, on the income uh, side, um, there's probably been a little bit of, uh, of careful accounting to make sure that there's nothing that UEFA can come at us. So it's got to be super clean. Whatever, whatever happened and the fact that they didn't prosecute us or go after us, this is now you know, very clear that they have to be clean this year. And if we're, if we're into that sort of discussion as to we're missing this income or that income or whatever because of the performance of the team, then really they do have to start to offload some excess players. And it might be that with Mikel Arteta going to Arsenal, the logical thing is he knows which players are out of sorts or let's say targeted for sale and you know might be a win-win situation for for stones and maybe others who, who are just not gonna <clears throat> feature in the in the in the long run i think um well it's opened my eyes what you just said in because i'd not really thought about this but when you look at it having you mentioned it it's little things that you're thinking why didn't we do this why didn't we do that it all fits into place I'm not saying this is oh, right. Oh no, no, no! But it, it does. It makes it makes sense. I'd not thought of it before. You just brought it up, and my brain's going. Ah, you know what? You could be right with that. Now, if we can get money for John Stones, um, you know the FFP. Obviously, I think has always been at the back of our mind because 
we have got that much money. You know, people have a go at uh, Tixie for, for not doing this, that and the other, not buying a, a, a Maybe we didn't have the funds to do it. You know, we that's why we didn't go out and buy one. Why it's we worth bought, saying, why? by the way, don't, don't lose your flow, but it's worth saying that Liverpool, Manchester United and other clubs... Um, despite the fact that City have, in theory, unlimited resources because of their owners, cannot spend no. as much no. as Manchester United and Liverpool mm. because FFP isn't structured on how much you've got in the bank yeah. or how rich your owners are. Yeah. It's all related to... to Generated the, income. Or correct. Yeah. So they, they can spend more, even though United are in huge debt. The, the FFP, rightly or wrongly, says they can spend more. Absolutely, no, absolutely right, absolutely right. Um, so, if we can offload John Stones, which I just, I hate to say it, he's a City fan, but we're discussing it, like he said, amongst friends, he's not good enough for City. In this, if we want to, if we don't be dominant and win Champions League and stuff like that, he is not good enough to play for City. If we can offload him in the January transfer window, which is a pretty bad window anyway, if we can offload him then, get some money for him, because Arteta will know his, his, his ins and outs and all the rest of it, we're not even selling to a rival. So that is perfect. We're not selling to a Liverpool, we're not selling to a United, or, well, United aren't a rival at the moment, but you know what I'm saying? You know, I would never sell a good player to a rival. He's not good enough for us, although he is a good player. Do you think he played yesterday to be shot windowed? <sighs> I hope not. <laughs> that's a very valid point, actually. Yeah, yeah. If anybody was thinking of buying, they might have changed their mind. There, that's that's me being tongue in cheek, but, but there's a bit of truth in that. So th th that's where we're up to in terms of we talked about FFP, we talked about individual players. I'm going to throw one little other, and then I'm going to do any other business. I'm not sure if Andy's got any any other business. He seems to suggest he might in the moment but there was one thing that was highlighted on social media I know you didn't see it Nathan because you're not on social media but uh, when Crystal Palace uh, took the lead yesterday uh, in the family stand at the front of the family stand um, a lot of kids and, and, and presumably parents um, possibly a, a school or something that had got tickets all leapt up in the air and cheered the Crystal Palace goal which irritated the 1894 group which because I saw them tweeting about it and, it, and and might have irritated other people. I must admit, at the moment it happened, I didn't even notice it, but it was highlighted. Is that something that matters to you? Should it not matter? Just give the tickets to schools, encourage them, hopefully convert them, get more kids to come in the future, because that is the family stand? Or does that bother you, the fact that in City's ground, there are people now being encouraged to come and have tickets who are cheering for the opposition? Uh, I saw I saw this on, on the Blue Moon forum, and I, I saw people... <laughs> Um, frustrated after the Port Vale game as well about um, Vale fans being in the home end. As someone that has sat in home ends all around the country following City, you you know you know what to to how to behave. You, if you go in the home end, you respect the other the other team, don't you? To I I, I saw this at the time and I thought maybe I I, w I was miss like missing things. Well, I I sit in third tier South Stand and. I noticed it was uh, it was by the corner flag at the, this this uh, group, and I saw them jump up, and I thought it looked a bit odd. And I think if it is young kids, then you should turn turn a blind eye to it. You know, tell you know, give them give them a tap on the shoulder. You know, don't do that next time. But if if you do have grown adults um, openly supporting a, an opposition team in the home end, I think that is an antagonising. I think it's. Um, going to cause greater issue than it's, that's what's needed, really. Well, you, <clears throat> Ian, you know well my views about this, uh, and it would have been <clears throat> my head of the business, so we'll chuck it in now. Um, it's a big problem. And, yeah, I know that there are Champions League games or minor cup games where lots and lots of tickets are handed out free of charge, which, by the way, if you're on the cup scheme, doesn't feel very fair. Exactly. But uh, it's done. And often these, these kids... Uh, could be between six and eight years old, and all they do is buy sweets and run around, spoiling the football for everyone who's paid on the cup scheme to uh, to watch the football team. So it's annoying, even if they're City fans. If they're not City fans, it's doubly uh, annoying. So, yeah, the uh, the issue about away fans in home ends, right? So let's just run, let's just run the clock forward nine games, shall we? 
Um, we now know that we are 16 points adrift of Liverpool and probably we will be 19 points adrift if they win their game in hand. Now, in nine games time, or ten games time, sorry, is when we play at the Etihad. It happens to be that there's 21 points left at that point. So if we're as we are, if the status quo remains, and the FA Cup's been conveniently moved to midweek, hasn't it? So that there aren't any um, fixture congestion problems mm. with the Premier League um, come the end of the season. So we are going to be playing that weekend, Liverpool, and it's likely, well, there's a good chance now that a lot will depend on it. I'd love to know in advance whether the club are going to take the measures necessary to prevent what could be a proper meltdown Carnage. in the ground. And actually, this is interesting because I was talking to both of you two before, Paul mm. and, and Andy, uh, that it could work out that the mathematics are that Liverpool win the league that day, mm-hmm. or they could have even won it in the game before, True. and there could be uh, one of those guards of honour. And both oh. of you said, I might not even go to the game. So if that happens, suddenly there is potentially, I'm not saying you two would do this, but there could be secondary ticket sales to Liverpool fans um, to, to get the highest, you know, let's cash in on it. I'm not going, what I don't price, want to see them have a guard of honour. What price to see your team win the Premier League at the home of the champions mm. and you've not won it for 30 years? And suddenly there's I, Liverpool fans everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've got a major problem, which you can't, you can't think about at the beginning of April. No, because the odds are now stacked in their favour that that could happen. So, I think if the message, if anyone's listening from within Manchester City Football Club, I hope they've got a contingency plan of how to ensure that our own fans are safe that day because it's going to be carnage. Mm. I mean, this yesterday, I didn't see. All I saw at half time was Moonchester. You know where I stand, Ian? Right opposite in that same corner. Was that what you're on about? Because it sounded no, no. Because no, we, there seemed to be a lot now, of the, kids in high pitch squealing in that corner. Yeah, there was, but and, and obviously Nathan's talked about it being in a corner flag. The bit that was on the bit of video that I saw yeah. on social media because I didn't notice it at the time was right in the middle of the goal. At the at the family stand end, yeah. when the two headers happen and the ball hit the net, and the first yeah. two rows behind the goal sort of all leapt up and started jumping about. That was the bit I saw on so social media. So were these kids? Do we know yeah, whether they were, like kids they were old or, kids, so like school yeah. kids? Right? Yeah, it looked like it was a you know so a, a, young kids. I don't know what cheerleaders at Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't them. Oh no, they're, they're young girls actually. Um, but, so, but no, so I, what I'm assuming this is is, and, and I've, I've actually got nothing in principle about. Uh, against this because I think City do great work in going to school, City in the community and and so they'll go into a school and they'll say how would you like you know to come to mm. a game Crystal Palace is a quieter one all your class can come they sit them in the front seats because that's where nobody really wants to sit right behind the goal low down you can have free tickets I assume I don't know and they plonk them there and then of course they're visually right in front of the camera they're Everyone the ones who live. and if you just go to a random class and say do you want to come to a game you might find that half of them maybe more than half of them are either United they might not be Crystal Palace fans but they're not City fans so they jump up and down when the other team scores so on the one hand I find myself thinking well done City what a great idea but of course the <coughs> net result is that visually it doesn't look good does it but I mean if they if if, if they're if they're a local school you're telling me that they're all they're not Crystal Palace fans. No, are no, they? no. But half of them could be. That's Let's be honest. Half of them could be United fans. Well, they shouldn't be letting them in then. Well, the third tier. Start a teacher. The te- the school should have the responsibility. Well, I remember my PE teachers taking us to the games at City. Was at Main Road. Um, he was a Southampton fan, and we went to we went with school. He got the school minibus, and he said, "Any City fans." What I got the game tonight? City's come round and give us these tickets. Who City fans in the school? And only City fans went to the school. So well, that's look, just the, as as happens with quite a few of the clubs who struggle to fill three tiers. There's a third tier for sale. Yeah, give them a neutral there, out the way. Give them a neutral zone. Yeah. I mean, some of the Champion League games you got to Barcelona. They have like a neutral area where you can turn up on the day and buy tickets and go in there, and you can be from any supporter. You can be on holiday. 
and think, oh, I'll go and watch the game today, and you can go in there and buy it. Let's do that then. Let's have a little section, like the back where Newcastle put the uh, the away fans, right in the back of the ground where they don't matter. They can see it, they still go in, they're still bums on seats. Stick them up there out of the way let them get on with it. But just to conclude this podcast on the more serious issue, which is the work you've introduced this, the subject of the Liverpool game, it could happen against Real Madrid, it could happen in all sorts of other games, that um, if tickets are in the wrong section as a result of either people deciding not to go or just more availability than there is demand. So if a lot of people, for example, think, uh, or oh, 60 quid, 50 quid for a Real Madrid ticket is too much for me, so I think I'll give that a miss because it's on TV and suddenly there's available space for other people to go in. That could be that Real Madrid fans go in there, more likely it's neutral or supporters of other teams who want to go and see a big game. Um, is, is and, and obviously the United game, the second leg that's coming up soon, we know that tickets for that are certainly last I heard, it's not sold out, so there may be a bit of availability there simple, too. Simple, simple. Say very categorically now, there will be no paper tickets issued whatsoever for those three games. End of. So if you've got a season card, you cannot get a paper ticket instead of. So what are you going to do? Give your card up for somebody from one of those three teams for the day. Yeah, you're not. Right, so that's the first thing the club can do immediately. Anybody that they also have got as authorised... Uh, travel agents, um, they've got to send a message to them in the strongest terms that clients on that day, they know which seats they're in, they will be watched to make sure that there aren't any problems. And if there are, they'll have their contract revoked by the club. They've they've got a responsibility, and I think they've got to take that with those two actions, which are very easy to do, not difficult, not going to cost any money, and it it serves as as a notice, a threat to say, you know, and of course, um, there is always, you know, your seat away fan, lose your seat. How, how, I've never had to do it. How, what's the process? So say I'm, I want to buy a ticket for City. I know you used to have to be a, a, a citizen or a members members owner or something, a member, members card owner. How would I go about getting a ticket? for well, a, If I, say, say I was a Madrid fan. Well, actually, the bigger question, which is which relates to what Andy's just said, is that if you you decide not to go to the Madrid game or the United game, you have a plastic card, which is your card. So what Andy's saying is that, you know, in theory, you could give that card to somebody else and you go in. Would you give it to a Real Madrid fan or a United fan unless they were real mates of yours? No. If you had to go through with some sort of third party, whether it be through the club or whatever, and that meant, as a result of that, a paper ticket was issued to replace your card, you wouldn't be taking as much of a risk because you've passed it on to the third party website mm. and your card is still in your pocket. It's not valid that night. And somebody else goes in with a paper ticket. And what Andy's saying is... That's what needs to stop. Am I right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, but how do I go about, if I'm a a Real Madrid fan and I want to go to that game, how do I end up getting a paper ticket? Okay, so there's obviously websites where fans have got paper tickets that they're selling them, StubHub and others. You can go on there and find away away tickets for City. Um, And they're even numbered. You know, so if you want to be serious about stopping it, there are people at the club who, who can go and actually deal with that. Um, it's very, it, so much. I remember years ago. I remember me, me, me we were talking about this postcode. on Saturday. It was damn really postcode. Yeah. We, when we we were playing Madrid, and my mate knew we were playing Madrid, so we became a member of the Real Madrid supporters club, so we could try and get a ticket. When he he became a member, when he when he tried to get a ticket, they turned around and said no because you're post you're in Manchester, so no no, no you're not. Mm. And he ended up a member for two years. So when we played him the next time, they still turned around and said, no, because you've not bought any tickets ever before. You're only coming. So they were monitoring what was going on and who was buying these tickets, where you lived and what your address was. But there's a reason why the club have introduced a, a scheme of saying you've got to go to so many games or you'll lose your season card. And that's because it's clear that some people simply have season tickets purely and simply for commercial use. You know, aliases, people who've got Manchester postcodes who will freely apply for tickets. It's a business. Mm. You know, we've been away to foreign games, Monaco, and joined their 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 club with some mate of ours who lives in Paris. And he gets all the, 
mm. all the stuff through. It's, it, you find ways, but why make it easy? Well, we come to the end of the podcast now, and obviously we've we've ended it with a debate that could continue on. Um, uh, City Matters were here. Uh, three members of City Matters were here um, two weeks ago. So, if you want to listen to them talk about ticket sales, certainly in terms of away tickets, there was a lot of debate in that, which was a couple of, uh, ago. And you'll see the title of it if you go on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever, and you'll see City Matters. It is my intention, if they if they're up for this, to invite them on again sometime in the next few weeks, and we'll focus a lot more on different issues like like things that happen at home games, about transport, things that, that really matter to home supporters. Bigger in food. Yeah, I knew that would matter to you. And then sure, and then some of the other issues like this can come up. But I, I, like you, Andy, hope that the club are listening to this and certainly I hope that they are very aware of the dangers that, that surround the Real Madrid and Manchester United games and that Liverpool game, if it does become the guard of honour game or the decisive game, which will make it a very emotional day and, and could lead to, to problems. So um, on that uh, on that subject, let, let's bring it to a conclusion. Thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who are the sponsors of the podcast. Without them, we might not be doing this podcast, so thanks very much to them. Really appreciate it. And that means, in turn, if you want to support me and our podcast and Forever Blue, then if you want to buy a car, go to RRG Group. If you want to get you to your company to the top of hot, of uh, Google searches, go to, to, go to Hot Click Marketing. And if you want to buy a mortgage, go to charleslewy.co.uk. And the reason why those three great sponsors sponsor the things that I do it helps me to not have to not want to ever say to you as a consumer right I want you to give me some money now I want you to do um, you know um, one of these various things you know where you, you chip in so much I know how difficult it is in life to, to pay your bills and for City fans to, to have to pay to go to watch games everywhere. I am very, very well aware of that. So I try through the goodwill of great sponsors and actually um, Andy, who's here with me today, has been a great uh, helper and sponsor as well. So I'm very, very grateful to those people, which means to you, the consumer, to you, the fan, I can continue to do what I do so that it doesn't cost you anything. So go and support them and tell them that you've heard about it on Forever Blue. Uh, we'll be back next week because the game is on Sunday at one o'clock against Fulham. We're going to record the podcast on the Monday evening. Um, so it'll be a day later because we always put it up around about half 10, 11 o'clock on the night that we record it. So this one, if, when you're listening to this one, was recorded on Sunday evening. The next one we're recording on Monday evening, so it'll be 24 hours later. In the meantime, enjoy Sheffield United if you're going. Look out for me if you want to be on the vlog. Uh, and also uh, the game uh, against Fulham in the FA Cup. And we'll be back to talk about City issues on Forever Blue, the podcast. Same, well, not quite, but same time next week. See you then. <laughs>